If you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 1. And this morning, we want to take a moment and we want to consider the response of a girl who found favor with the Lord. And as a result, expressed her thankfulness to God for his faithful mercy. We know this girl as Mary, the mother of our Lord. Now you would think that for such a monumental task as giving birth and caring for the Savior of mankind, that you would need to meet some kind of criteria, a certain set of non-negotiable kind of things that would kind of show this person and show the community and show the world that you are qualified for such a calling. We don't know very much about Mary. What we do know is that she doesn't fit the bill of someone of great standing in the Jewish community. She didn't come from a wealthy family. She didn't have a prominent religious background in in what her parents were doing in the community. Sure, she has a lineage that can be traced back uh, to earlier times and promises, but Really, for her in those moments, there, there wasn't like this idea that my dad is this priest or um, my mom is related to this person that of great standing. There's nothing that we can really trace back that she was qualified as fulfilling a mighty act that caused God to visit her and say, okay, because of this. I'm calling you to do that. In Luke chapter 1, verse 26, we read that the angel Gabriel, the same angel that we we talked about last week in visiting Elizabeth and Zacharias, that this angel visited the town of Nazareth. We don't know much about Nazareth. We really don't. It was a small town in the region of Galilee, which is in northern Israel. It wasn't until 1962 through archaeological records and and, and examining um, the, the writings of the world at the time. It wasn't until 1962 that we even found a pre Christian mention of the town of Nazareth. In all sense of Uh, of the word that this was a no-name backwoods kind of town in Israel. It's not the kind of place that you think that an angel would visit to offer hope, the hope of salvation. In the first century world, the Jews looked at Nazareth And the people of Nazareth with disdain. In fact, we read in John chapter 1 verse 46, a statement uh, that was echoed out throughout the known world. That can anything good come out of Nazareth? The Jews viewed those who lived in Nazareth as mongrels, half-breeds. Because they were in the northern part of Israel... 
And they were Jewish people that had cohabitated with the Gentiles from the north. And the true Jewish people would look at those people and say, you're not truly Jewish because you have allowed the Gentiles to come in and mix with you. And it's in this insignificant, look down upon community that the angel Gabriel visits Mary. What we do know about her is that she was a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph. Now at most, and, and at most, she was 14 or 15 years old. At most. It's likely she was around 13 years old. And that was common. That thought causes my mind because I have a 13-year-old to just... But she was likely a poor peasant girl living in an inconsequential place. And as with most of the poor, and as with being a female, she was likely illiterate. With her only knowledge of the scriptures being what she heard in the synagogue or what was uh, spoken of in her home by her parents. And it's this Mary who begins her song in verse 48 of Luke chapter 1 by stating that God has regard for the humble state of his bond slave. The greatest news ever proclaimed came to the humblest of people. Now, if we had a choice, even if we had like the video showed where we could all gather and, and kind of offer our services, if we had a choice, it's likely we wouldn't have chosen Nazareth, nor is it likely that we would have chosen someone like Mary. And again, I'm reminded as we watch the people that participated in the nativity, in the birth of Jesus, I'm just reminded again, aren't we glad that God doesn't leave redemption up to us? That God visits the small places. He comes to the inconsequential people. He encourages those that have been cast off to come. And so as we study the song this morning, we need to accept the essential spiritual fact that Jesus comes to needy people. I don't know how needy you feel this morning. And there can be that tension, right? That I know I'm in need, but also that, that, that challenge, that, that feeling in the flesh that we have it all together. At least we act like it. But that Christmas is the reminder to us that God visits needy people. That he rescues needy people. That without the gift of the babe and a manger... There is no cross. 
There is no salvation. There is no forgiveness of sin. And we are still dead in our sins and trespasses. When the angel Gabriel announced to Mary that she found favor with the Lord, that she will give birth to the Son of God and he will be named Jesus, and that she will remain a virgin and have a baby, and that she won't be married and have a baby. And when all of those thoughts are swimming around in this 13 or 14-year-old mind about what God is about to do through her, she does not run away from it. But Mary acknowledges the gift, the calling, and she embraces the responsibility. And where does she go? Well, the angel Gabriel tells her that a relative, Elizabeth, is pregnant as well. We talked about her last week and Zacharias and the child that, that uh, was a gift to them, the, the child of John the Baptist. Now, Elizabeth was much older, beyond childbearing age. But here we have Mary, just beginning her childbearing age. These two women who God miraculously worked through are called to come together. I mean, think about it. Who is really the only other person Mary could go to with such news? It would be Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth's circumstances were a little different. She did not have a divine birth and that the, the Holy Spirit came upon her. The birth of her son was a result of her dad or her husband and her, Zacharias and Elizabeth. But for Mary, there is no earthly father. The Holy Spirit would visit her. And I believe... As we read in chapter 1 and verses 26 through 38, that very quickly after the angel visited, this happened. And what do we read? Elizabeth was visited by Mary. And that Mary came to her in a hurry. And we're not sure if she told her parents We're not invited into the home life of Mary. That's not consequential for our our understanding of what God was doing in this young lady's heart as he's calling her to to what seems like an impossible calling. But we are reminded again in chapter 1, verse 37, "For for nothing will be impossible with God. And so Mary travels some 80 to 100 miles south from Nazareth to visit Elizabeth. And what's interesting in the text is in in verses 39 through 45, when we have this coming together of Mary and Elizabeth, that when Mary enters the house, Elizabeth is there and Elizabeth was in her sixth month of pregnancy. So she's very pregnant at this point. 
And when Mary enters the house, the baby inside of her leaps. John the Baptist leaps in her belly. And it's a sign of praise. We read in this this section of scripture that the baby was full of the Holy Spirit. This preborn life at six months would have been about nine inches long, weighing about a pound and a half. This life. And that, that, that's very important for us to understand. That before John ever drew his first breath, he is alive and a person. That John leaps and prays for what he senses, and more importantly, who he senses. Because inside of Mary, growing is the Savior of mankind. Elizabeth expresses praise for Mary being called to carry the Messiah. And as such, Elizabeth acknowledges that Mary truly is blessed among women. We need to be careful, right, when it comes to Mary, that we don't venerate her higher than what she is due. Sure, she seemed to have an impossible calling. Sure, she would have been this young lady who she would have had to have dealt with the, the rumors, the scandal. In fact, we read in Matthew's gospel that her uh, fiance, Joseph, wanted to send her away privately because of all of the, the thoughts that would come from a woman, a young woman being pregnant, not married. She worked through all of it. And she didn't understand the full job description as we saw in the video. She really didn't understand what the full salvation of her child would be. As she would watch him hang on a cross. Sure, she is blessed among women. But we need to be careful that we do not elevate her to a status that is too high. The Catholic Church around 200 years ago elevated Mary to the place that she was conceived without sin. But not only does Scripture defy that teaching as it clearly states that all are born with sin, but even Mary's testimony that we read about in this psalm acknowledges that she is a needy person. Needy for the forgiveness that her son will give her through the cross. It's crazy to me. Her child will be able to forgive her sins. Mary is needy for redemption. And her song cries out for the joy of deliverance that Jesus brings.
And so when you hear the words of the song that we're going to look at now, sung by a poor, illiterate girl, the question is, how would she have known to sing such a theologically packed song? There are some 12 Old Testament quotations in the song that Mary sings. If you've read scripture, if you've read the Old Testament, if you want to do this study later today, what you can do is take this song and line it up to another song that is found in the Old Testament. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verses 1 through 10. And it's a song of another woman, Hannah, who was gifted by God to give birth to a son named Samuel. When you hear Hannah's song next to Mary's song, there's a lot of similarities. And it's very likely that as Mary grew up in a home, hearing the scriptures, visiting the synagogues, hearing the scriptures, celebrating God on the feast days that Israel would have, that during the feast days they would sing many of the songs of the Old Testament, songs by David and Moses and Hannah. So Mary sings from what she knows to be true about who God is. And she opens the song in verse 46. And she says, my soul exalts the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my savior, for he has regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on all generations will count me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation towards those who fear him. And so in the first part of the song, Mary focuses on God's working on her behalf. She considers what God has done in the angel visiting and giving this miraculous news that she will give birth to the Savior, the Messiah. And the opening words of her song, my soul exalts the Lord, begins with Mary's heart elevated to a place of great praise. This word exalt means to make great or or to enlarge him. The Latin Vulgate, which was a translation of the Greek texts that came some 500 to 800 years after the New Testament age, that text translated these words beginning with the word Magnificat. And that's where we get the name of this song. Mary had a great view of God because she lived her life under the great awareness that it is only the Lord who sustains and gives hope. And so when we start thinking about why would God visit this girl in this place in this time, it's because God knew that her heart was seeking him, searching for him, longing for him, knowing that it is only through him that she could find any hope in her life. And the first half of this song focuses on her praise 
for his faithfulness. She declares that her spirit is rejoiced in God, my Savior. So her soul and her spirit, the essence of who she is, the forever part of who she is, magnifies the Lord and gives him great praise. Now, this young girl is an example for all of us. At least she should be. One who in her total essence, like the very essence of who she is, totally trusts God. Now, this is a a question that's hard to answer, but if you were in her shoes, would you be able to sing the song this way? It's a question I never have to worry about because there's no baby coming from here. (laughs) But it's that kind of thing, right? I mean, isn't that what we see Not only in the Christmas story, but we see in scripture time and time again that God is the God of the impossible, that he turns everything upside down, that what we think is normal and the way that things should be done, God says, nope, we're going to look at it this way. And all along the way in the hard things and the hard moments in the challenging times when God says to you, I want you to do the hard thing. I want you to embrace the impossible. I want you to be called out of whatever situation that you're in, to be called to do something that you never thought that you could be called to do. That in all of those moments, in all of the interruptions, in all of the times where God visits and he turns your life upside down, that you can say, with full assurance in your soul and spirit that you can exalt and rejoice in God. I mean, for me, there are moments when I have very minor interruptions and it's like I had a major shipwreck. And I read the response of this young girl tasked with an impossible situation. And I think, oh my, I have a lot to learn. Mary understood her need for a savior. When we read in the song, in verse 47, that she rejoices in God, my Savior. The equivalent translation could also be the God of my salvation. And Mary knew that it's only the Lord, the true God, that is her Savior. There's nothing here, as I said earlier, or anywhere else in Scripture that indicates that Mary thought she was free of a need for a Savior. She rejoices in the God who is her Savior. She's just like us, longing and waiting for God to save her. That 
message, that theme, that understanding of God's promised deliverance would have been fresh in her mind and heart as a young girl growing up in a Jewish home experiencing the God of the Old Testament. Because that was the main theme of everything that the law and the prophets were pointing the people to. That God would visit and God would restore and God would give the brokenhearted everything that they need through a promised Savior. Longing and waiting, Mary understands that she has found grace and that a Savior is to come. In verse 48, she acknowledges her humble state. She's not a queen like Esther. She's not a warrior like Deborah. This word humble carries the idea of misery. Like she's... You know, on the lowest of low rungs in society, she's probably going through life thinking, this is what I hope, this is what I know, this is what God is saying, but who am I to receive such a gift? Mary was keenly aware that there was nothing in herself that merited such favor from the Lord. And it's here that we see that the Lord meets those and works through those who realize their need. Those who have no merit or standing with him. Thirty years later, her son that is born will begin his public ministry with these words quoted from Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2. And you find this in Luke chapter 4. Jesus says, In the synagogue, at the beginning of his public ministry, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Similarly, Jesus began the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 with these words. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And so we see time and time again in this situation in Mary's life and all throughout Scripture the eternal truth of Psalm 34, verse 18, that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. As we hear Mary's song this morning, I don't know how you are feeling today. If you are crushed in spirit, if you are brokenhearted, if you in your humble estate understand and are, are keenly aware that you are bankrupt spiritually, Some of you this morning might be here in this place just trying to figure out like you're hanging on spiritually thinking, God, I need to hear from you. God, I need to know if you're there and you're going to work. But as we listen to Mary's song of praise to God for his work on her behalf, that you are encouraged and reminded in your faith and life that God is always present and God is more than able to do the impossible through you. That through the gift of a baby born on Christmas Day, God has done the impossible for you.
God has saved you from your sins so that you could be with him forever. God's calling of Mary to birth humanity's Savior would count her blessed by all generations to come. That's what she acknowledges in verse 48. She is blessed. But we are blessed as well. And I think we need to understand this, that at the invitation of the king, we are blessed. And as Rod had read scripture this morning in one of the carols, uh, he read the, the, the verse that, that conveys the truth that the king promises that all who receive him will be called children of God. What a blessing that is. That by faith, we who were far off, we who were enemies, we who have made the choices, the decisions to walk away from God, that by faith, God invites us in. And he doesn't just invite us in and say, okay, you can be in the house, but you can't be in my presence. No, he says, I want you to come close because you're my children and I'm your father. And that for all of us who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we have the blessing of knowing that we are his children. And that is something that can never be taken. In verses 49 and 50, Mary gives the reason for her praise. For the mighty one has done great things for me and and holy is his name and his mercies upon generation after generation towards those who fear him. The reasons for her praise, the foundation of where her heart goes in elevated worship of God is that God is the mighty one and that he is the holy one. And it is his mercy, generation after generation, given to those who fear him. God is certainly the mighty one. Mary would have been fully aware of Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, about the child that will be born. We read Isaiah saying, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. God is certainly the mighty one. Our God has shown his might. And this is, this is the upside down nature, right? God does the impossible. He causes this virgin teenage girl to, to have the child, to birth the child that will be the savior of mankind. But when this savior came, he didn't come with full power and splendor with the angel armies with him. He came as a humble servant and and God turned everything upside down by giving his life and dying our death so that we could be set free and victorious. That is what the mighty one does. If it was me being the mighty one, I would come down from heaven with the red button and I'd be like, okay, I'm, I'm hitting the red button right now and it's all gone. But God doesn't choose to do that. He does the hard thing in coming to live in sinful humanity and to die a death he never deserved. 
God is certainly the mighty one. And holy is his name. Holy is the name of God. You realize when you say the name of God, you are invoking a holy, set-apart name. That you are acknowledging that there is only one who in his perfections is set apart and higher and different than all things. It is only God who is holy and it is only through a relationship with his son that we too can be made holy. The common us is made holy by faith in Jesus. Holy is the name of the Lord. It's the song of the angels. Holy, holy, holy. I don't know if we really appreciate the holiness of God in our lives. But Mary did. She understood that God is truly set apart from all. And his mercy is upon generation after generation towards those who fear him. Now Mary recognized that God's mercy extends to all generations. God works not as he should. That's what mercy is. It's God withholding what we deserve. We deserve death and separation. And Christmas reminds us again that God is doing what we do not deserve, giving what we cannot earn. The gift of Jesus for you is God's mercy extended to all the generations. But it's only given to those who fear him, those who trust him, those who acknowledge their need for him. And the final part of this song anticipates God's already completed work. In verses 51 through 56, Mary shifts her attention for what God has done through her to what God will do in the world. In verse 51, we read, He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rollers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy. As he has spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. Do you, do you see something in what Mary was singing? Like, here, here's what we need to understand. She went straight from her home to visit Elizabeth. They have this interaction, and now she sings this song. Mary is very, very, very early in her pregnancy. Very early. And as she is considering God's work on, our, on her behalf and what the birth of this child will provide, she sings a song fully aware, not only of what is to come, but what God has already accomplished. 
See, the last half of the song, Mary sings in what we call in the narratives of Scripture as the prophetic past. It's in a tense in the Greek language. It's in the aorist tense. And I know that means a whole lot to you and you're super excited. But this tense in the Greek language of the words that she uses in this song conveys an idea of something that is so sure that it is presently already accomplished. And yet it hasn't happened yet. So let me read some of these things again. He has done mighty deeds he has scattered those who were proud he has brought down rulers and has exalted those who were humble he has filled the hungry and sent away the rich he has given help to Israel as he has spoken to our fathers do you see that? She's singing about things that haven't happened yet through the birth of her son, believing that they have already and will happen through the birth of her son. That the baby born will turn everything upside down in the world that we know. God scatters the proud at the name of Jesus. Those who on their own feel as if they don't need God are scattered at the presence of Jesus. But God gives grace to the humble. Those who look to Jesus by faith as God's gift are the only ones that find rescue. God reverses all expectations. The proud who feel that they have Entitlement to all the blessings that God is going to give, they are scattered. But those who are as beggars come to God, not expecting anything, they find everything. The rich who live as if they have no need are sent away empty. And it is the hungry who are filled. Psalm 113 verses 7 and 8 expresses this idea when it writes, God raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes, with the princes of their people. When Jesus came, he reversed all expectations for humanity. And when you receive Jesus, no matter where you came from, God elevates you to where he is. The world says success is power and the ability to exude that power, to have all of your needs met. And Jesus reverses all of it, turns it upside down. I don't know about you, but if there are times in your life when you feel like you're pretty self-sufficient and you're pretty good at controlling your own little kingdom and your own little neck of the world, 
Christmas is the reminder that none of us can do anything apart from God that will last forever. That the birth of a king challenges our thinking, our prideful thinking, that we are in control, that we can do it on our own, that we can find a way, work a way to find favor and merit and love from God. That everything that is wrapped up in the Christmas narrative is this. You can't do it, but God will do it for you. And in the final verses of this song, Mary expresses her trust in God's promises to Israel. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy. And then she goes back to all the promises, just like Zacharias did last week in his song. All the promises that God made to Abraham and his descendants. God's going to keep those promises. God hasn't forgotten them. Israel, many in Israel were living as if God had forgotten them. They were living in, under Roman control. Their land had been turned over time and time again. Mary is crying out that God has certainly not forgotten his people. And if you have forgotten that God is true to his word, maybe the events that surround December 25th will ignite your heart again that God has certainly not forgotten his people. The promise that Messiah would be born to her was the surprise that Mary and all Israel had been waiting for, longing for, desperately needing. Now, we're not much different. We have promises. Much like the promises that Mary and her brethren were kind of hanging on to in their life and the expectation of the first century world wanting a deliverer to come. We're not different in that we know that the king that was born once will return again for us. And so I want to encourage you. Are you living as if you know for sure that Jesus will return and restore all things to himself? Or are you complacent and think, well, that's good news, but can I just get through school first? Can I just get married first? Can I start my family first? Can I find my career first? Can I retire first? Can I get my first hole in one first? You know, like we set these goals for our lives and, and we go through life and we think, okay, I, I, I'm going to check all the boxes. And then only then, if God would want to show up, okay, I'll make room for him then. But can I get all this figured out first? When we should all be living in such a way that we are desperately aware that we need the king to return. And that the king will return at any moment, like a thief in the night, to gather his bride to himself. And so as we close, may we be reminded that we are all in great need. All of us. And that's only 
that it is only in Jesus Christ that we can have all of our needs met. This song challenges us to consider how confident we are in God's promises. And if we are confident, like Mary was, then our mouths are going to open up and our hearts are going to declare in our soul and spirit that we will magnify and exalt the name of God. And so I invite you this Christmas season to sing with joy. The joy of salvation that God has already accomplished in your life. Let's pray. Father.